All right, episode 114. We have John Hedge Hall on today's episode, the founder and executive director of Access Parkour in Scotland. He's also now the deputy CEO of Parkour Earth and a Dungeons and Dragons and Call of Cthulhu aficionado, um, as you'll probably know if you know him. And we got into mostly on this episode, we had a really interesting discussion about parkour just in general, broadly, what it is, like what makes it unique and what it offers as a practice and why. So John's a brilliant mind and been in the community and knows a lot. And so his views on that were really interesting to me and hope you guys find them insightful as well. And then mostly, you know, he came on the show because he's, like I said, executive or excuse me, deputy CEO of Parkour Earth now and wanted to share with you guys the mission, what they're working on, how Parkour Earth is doing things differently, what they're up to these days. And if you don't know about Parkour Earth, we'll get into that a little bit as well. And just a brilliant guy, great conversation. Hopefully you guys um, check out everything in the description. There's a call to action for sure for Parkour Earth and what you guys can do and get involved. And um, without further ado, John Hedge Hall. So you go first. <laughs> Tell me how, you how doing? you've been. I mean, I'm doing really good. I'm doing really good. Um, but I want to hear from you first because you want to hear from me. People. Well, last time we hung out was Art of Retreat Twenty. I want to say 19. It was the first time we went to Washington. Hmm. And then I came and I visited you. Yep, yep. And you treated me like an honored guest and you treated me far better than you should have and drove me around and looked after me, took me to a gym. <laughs> we recorded, I looked it up the other day, uh, Height Drop 38, I think it was. I, You know better than me. I was meaning to look it up and I just didn't get around to it. So you're better, better I, than I. I did. I looked you it did up. You did your research. And we spent, As usual... You're the most and we spent half of it talking about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and we're going to get to that again because you put <laughs> me through my Dungeons and Dragons. I do want to touch base, but yeah, the academic that you are, I'm not surprised you did better research than I did for this, my own episode of the podcast. I, uh, I asked on Instagram earlier what people thought we should talk about and whether or not we'd stay serious and work hard. And the response was <laughs> unilaterally, you will just start talking about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> well, let's prove them wrong at least for 30 minutes um or All maybe right. not i don't know so yeah what have you been up to in the meantime that was 2019 you're saying yeah yeah a lot's well, changed for me so i'll definitely love to hear what's going on with you obviously yeah so i was attending an event called art of retreat which was a leadership conference for people in parkour and it went really well it was a wonderful thing and i proposed to the organizing team that we set up the european art of retreat so uh I then took that away, and in the spring of 2019, we organized Art of Retreat Europe, which was the first time we tried anything. It was going to go really fantastically, and it did. We had a lot of fun. Some amazing projects came out of it, and then we tried to organize Art of Retreat 2020, and as you can imagine, COVID hit. Mm. So that kind of all happened, and it was a bit... um, of a horrendous couple of years in many, many ways, but let's skip past that. (laughs) And about a year ago, I got tapped up to join an organization named Parkour Earth, which uh, was 
positioning itself to become the international governing body. It had membership of a large number of the more organized countries as member, national members of the organization. And it was looking to uh, hire a deputy CEO to expand its executive team so that we could start doing better representation. Mm. And I took the job. It's still voluntary. So I still have my coaching business on the side. So I'm still the, I'm now the executive director of Access Parkour, which basically means I flounce around pretending I'm important while other people do all the hard work. <laughs> and I, yeah, spend my time trying to build up and talk to people about Parkour Earth and figure out how Parkour Earth can represent people and also coaching and doing as much parkour as I can and thinking about parkour, as you can imagine. Mm. Um, yeah, that's amazing. All of that. I, I wanted like, so access is doing well. It sounds like you're killing it there. <laughs> flouncing around <laughs> pointing, yeah, pointing, no, that's, pointing, so, um, pointing and shouting, telling people what to do. Yeah, that I do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, sounds like it's going good. You also mentioned as we led up to the podcast, um, in the chats, I don't know when you want to get into this, but you're doing your own online um, yeah. coaching platform so i do want to get to that but, but yeah uh well you'll probably have some interest in that because you've played around with stuff like that quite a bit haven't you in the past oh i played around <laughs> <laughs> i mean i was um, part of the team that played around for sure yeah um how can i put this so one of the things that i don't want to do is get into coaching parkour online there's a couple of reasons for that for those who don't know i'm um i'm an introductory parkour teacher my trade is in teaching uh accessible parkour coaching access parkour i consider myself to be someone who spends a lot of time figuring out how to introduce parkour to different populations specifically i'm interested in how to get people moving and fit and healthy to help them lead healthier and happier lives i'm not someone for whom uh, performance is a huge factor in the way I think about and deliver coaching. Mm. And because of that, I'm thinking about how to reach more people to deliver parkour. And one of the things that bugs me about that is while it's quite easy to create full-time parkour coaches in big, busy metropolitan centers, uh, normally, you know, you have a gym and just three or four coaches working in a gym in a big city a large portion of the world doesn't really have a sustainable way of introducing parkour. And we're very, we hold on to parkour very tightly because we don't want it to be taught badly. Hmm. So what I'm interested in is delivering something that's parkour light. Hmm. So we're not delivering parkour. Instead, we're thinking, all right, let's teach someone how to introduce parkour in the same way that your PE teacher at school probably delivers football and baseball and basketball and 70 sports. Mm -hmm. Let's give them what that looks like for parkour. And how I actually ended up developing a lot of that was through play-based teaching. So the first course I developed, I developed this, I was developing it, I think, the last time we talked because it was in my head. And I called it Risk and Play Through Parkour and it's a course for teachers how, and the course's aim is to help a PE teacher or a primary school teacher, an elementary teacher, uh, introduce play-based parkour games. So play games like Hopscotch and Follow the Leader and Add-On and Floor is Lava, but using some parkour principles. Hmm. And the reason I think that's a really great thing is 
it introduces a large number of people to the concept of parkour and the teachers can do six weeks on it in school, but they don't really sell themselves as parkour teachers. They just, it's another string, it's another arrow in their bow, if you will. Hmm. So that risk and play course uh, is delivered in person and I've been traveling around. I delivered it a lot over the course of the last few years. It's going really well. I've got opportunities to go and deliver it some more. But the thing is, COVID obviously changed a lot of the rules about how we work and how we operate. And when it came to how do you reach more people, the answer became online. And so for the past six to eight months, now that I have a little bit more space from Access Parkour day to day, I've been sitting down working out how you would go about introducing someone to parkour if they don't have the same opportunity to meet and train with actual parkour practitioners. Which has been really interesting because I'm fascinated by what makes parkour different from other sports. Mm-hmm. So I think about it in terms of why is parkour unique and interesting? How can we distill those unique and interesting things and give it to people? And something about creating play-based spaces has really caught the attention of a lot of people I've been working with. And so teaching parkour through games has become this style that I'm really working on and thinking a lot about, about right now. And it's, it's going well. So the Jump Into Parkour course is just about finished. I'll be launching it quite soon. And the target market is people who want to learn a little bit about creating community, maybe leading some jams, maybe leading some introductory classes for kids, small community people who are never going to get the sort of exposure you get in big cities, Hmm. but who need a little bit of guidance. And then once they've done, it's an eight-week course. Once they've done that eight-week course, if they do go and find parkour coaches and they do travel to gyms, they'll be equipped with all these tools so they'll feel they can get a lot more out of it. And when people come to us, you know, there's someone from a small town that's 100 miles away that has to drive three hours to get to us. I don't have to spend an hour teaching them how to land. I can then get into some deeper discussions, correct their form, fix the little things, send them away with a really good experience. Hmm. That's so great. That's, yeah. Well, I had a couple of questions. One, um, with this risk and play one that you're kind of like distributed out to a lot of local programs and schools, it sounds like, does it, is it, is it risk and play? Is it, is parkour, how parkour, how much is parkour mentioned in the course? Do people feel like they're doing it or do they kind of not know they're doing it? So it's called risk and play through parkour. Okay. Through parkour. And, okay. Uh, it's been delivered through two channels. So when I delivered it through access parkour, it's the risk and play course. Uh, mm-hmm. when I delivered it through the NGB, it was, uh, the teacher's CPD, introductory CPD for parkour free running. Okay. Sweet. So I they think, do know they're doing parkour. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was just a little bit unclear, and I was just like, I'd be interested. I mean, I think it's it's probably even better if they know, you know, a little bit yeah. like that they're doing it. And I love that you're into this idea of of distilling what is unique about parkour, and it sounds like play is where you're headed. Can you talk a little oh, bit yeah. more about like what your just thoughts are on that and what you found yeah. has like been fundamental? Because the other question, I I'll, I'll save it, but. I'm interested in also the benefits that you are sort of synthesizing, you know, as the years and years have gone by, you've seen more students come through your programs. Like maybe it's been enriched your view of just what parkour really offers somebody. And so I want to just start with um, what you feel like makes it unique 
and maybe how right. that's changed, you know, from when yeah. Yeah. Know, we last spoke or even before then. Lots of questions. Let's try and address I went them about, at time. I went ham. I'm sorry. I had a... <laughs> I had too way excited, too much too to drink. Excited. I had way too much to drink this morning, which with uh, the coffee is strong in me right now. Uh, right. So let's let's handle play first. Um, there is an argument that parkour is a sort of codified play. So play, free play, as in if you think about what young children do has many different factors associated with it. So you can go out and watch children take risks and experiment with the capabilities of their own body, and that's a way of play. You can watch children pretend so to be adults. Sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but is risk inherently kind of a part of play in your in this worldview? Uh, How does that fit in? Because Awesome question. Really, um, so if you... If you want to look at the academic analysis of this, mm. academics would say that risk is contained within most elements of play. However, what they mean by risk isn't always necessarily what we might call risk. So when an academic is talking about play and risk, they do partially mean the chances of injury, but they also mean the chances of something going wrong because a lot of play and a lot of these discussions boil down to social styles of play too. Mm. So they would include um, little Jimmy getting made fun of as well as little Jimmy cutting his knee. Both yeah. are acceptable parts of play. Mm. Within parkour, I think we can argue that we're really looking at this experimental movement aspect of children's play taken to an extreme. Certainly, if you think about what we know about the Yamakaze and how their play developed, it was trying to copy what they saw. So if you talk about, I know you just did a whole bunch of uh, the, the history here. So like <laughs> having seen what Raymond was doing uh, mm. and the various bells and the others wanted to be like that were copying that and it was basically just an extension of their play that kept going and kept going and expanding so that's definitely one way we can anal analyze parkour i think it's a little reductive to say that parkour is just play though mm. because parkour has um philosophies and values behind it it's a it's an activity that we do with a purpose in mind which is to solve problems and achieve things and then also depending on where you are in the world this is one of the most amazing things by the way about getting involved in parkour earth which is you have to lose all of your assumptions about what your parkour practice is because you're constantly getting someone else's values associated with it so wherever we go parkour is very value-led although what that means is different everywhere mm. so whatever the values of the local area tend to also be reflected in parkour um, there's some great work Oh man, who who wrote this? This is why I'm not such an academic. So I can't tell you my sources. <laughs> but the the sort of encompassing theme it might have been um, Alex Pavlotsky. Hope we got his name right. Uh, who wrote this? But basically, parkour's values were a mixture of these trained to overcome obstacles, and then on top of that, it was 
whatever values the young people in that society needed in order to make up for whatever was missing in their own lives. Hmm. So it was often a pushback against societal norms. It was often a desire to meet goals. A lot of play and a lot of uh, human activity tends to be trying to meet unmet needs. And so those ideas clashing of different cultures tended to be what parkour became. Again, that's an idea. I would never go as far as to say that's the only way of thinking about this. Okay. But you go down that model and you can say that's another way of analyzing it if you don't want to go down to full play. But then, of course, depending on where someone is in their journey, it could look like that. So if we think about beginners, they're learning a new sport and it mm. looks like a sport to them. They learn all these different movements and they put them together and then they create these patterns and then they try and solve the problems associated with the movements they've learned. That's very sporty. But then if you talk about to long-term practitioners, they'll talk to you a lot more about how they applied that to things and how the mindset changed and how the scale of the obstacles they're trying to solve changed and how they applied it to something and then went off in this other direction. Hmm. So, yeah, it it's a complicated box to try and put it in place. Yeah, well, so I'm trying to now answer that second question you had. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, but just to reflect a little bit, it sounds like you're kind of saying that parkour in this view or one way to look at it is it's kind of like a, a solution or an answer to a problem that anyone might be having in their, the context of their culture and their individual life. And maybe I'm wrong about this, but I'm just saying like, so they, it could, they can answer, they can use parkour to answer a question they have about physicality, maybe about just, you know, I talk about it with Max on the history podcast and other things like there's existential questions that it can help you kind of grapple with. There's, so, so social things that also um, it answers for a lot of people. I mean, almost everyone I know talks about how they just like to be a part of something, a community, and they mm -hmm. like how open the community is. And that's a big part of it. And so you're saying that it can be an answer for that. But also what's reflected in, in these varying cultures around Earth is the deficits or the the needs, the unanswered needs of that society that parkour kind of fills those spaces so that if you're if you're already a, maybe a really dynamically physical culture, you answer maybe more social issues through in that, in that world. I don't know. Does that make, is that, is that kind of what you're saying is like, if you're, it helps to fill the, the gaps in the culture for people. I'm uh, I'm hesitating to give uh, <laughs> definitive answers because almost all of this is hey let's have interesting talk and see where it yeah, goes. Yeah, I kind yeah. of I, I want to start pinning this to examples. Okay. Um. So, I guess that part of parkour could be considered striving to meet goals, and if you there's actually a really fascinating discussion on the parkour Earth discard if. People haven't joined the Parker of Discord yet. They should. There's some really cool discussions going on there. Um, there's a researcher studying the apparent um, high level of neurodivergence in the parkour community. So what the researcher has noticed is that it seems to be a trend that there are more people who are neurodivergent, ADD, ADHD, autism, autism spectrum, etc., within the parkour community and is trying to figure out if that's true, and if it is true, then trying to give some examples of why it's happening, mm. um, which a lot of us are very interested in. And some of the personal stories have come up that 
the people who are neurodivergent have talked about how the simple pattern and parkour of seeing a problem and figuring out a solution has helped them in a number of different ways. But also finding people for whom the rules are quite simple, where the community's goals are set a goal and then complete it is a really simple way of understanding things because that community is simple. They felt at home there and they felt safe and they felt welcome there. So those two aspects that make it for a potential home for people who are neurodivergent. And I think that something about finding people who are passionate in the same way about solving problems in the way you are is one of the things that creates the parkour community because we are all people that seem to be quite goal-oriented. Like, if I was going to stick my flag down and say, this is a thing that I think mm. most, or if not all, parkour people are, it's practically minded and problem-solving. They mm. tend to see a challenge and want to complete the challenge, mm. almost physically. And it comes back to like conversations I get over and over again when I talk to people about parkour. They ask me, well, what is parkour actually doing? What is parkour earth actually doing? Mm. And I go, well, we're doing this big, high-minded, floating thing and this. No, no, what are you doing? <laughs> and I love that. I think it speaks so much about parkour people. And um, I, want, I do want to get into that, but I do also want to answer your question. And that idea of there are certain things that attract us to the community. I'm a bit lost now. I've gone in a circle. Help me out. Pull me out of this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll pull, on the, pull you out here. Um yeah, I mean, it's just, it is a really broad, like, super, but you're saying that one of the things that you feel like is a characteristic of the community is that we approach life in a pragmatic, problem-solving kind of way. Yeah. And I would definitely, I mean, again, I have not, not, not doing the research and stuff, but I would, my intuition or whatever, the way I feel about it is that that statement is what I've seen in my experience. Mm -hmm. And I remember... Phil Doyle actually had as his description at one point on Instagram problem solver. <laughs> and he's yeah. also, which is, which just brought to, which came to my mind because he's such a quintessential kind of archetype of, of a certain type of parkour practitioner, but he is one of those archetypes I feel like. Oh, and, yeah. um, and that's really interesting. I wonder I wonder, yeah, what the other characteristics are, but if we are having this problem solving thing and then, and then it gets expressed in these other deficits of whatever we feel is going on for life is that might be the kind of blend that makes parkour this powerful tool, um, is it orients you towards problem solving. And then it's so broad that it allows you to adapt that problem solving towards almost any dimension. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, this is actually perfect because now I get to play devil's advocate a little yeah, bit. Yeah, devil's advocate on this. Um, because I don't <laughs> want to, because we're almost sort of verging on stoicism in some ways now, mm. uh, which is um, control what you can, let everything else go, mm -hmm. um, focus on the things that you can change. And I don't want to say that parkour is, like, I don't want to create a hierarchy and say, well, first you solve the physical things, then you solve the social things, then you, and, you know, self-actualize and create mm. this <laughs> i don't think parkour is quite like that i think it's still quite grounded it's still you go out on the streets and you jump on things mm. um but some people can take it in other ways and again like i was saying 
I don't think it's necessarily so much that you then can, that lets you solve bigger problems. I think the more ephemeral the problem, the harder it is to sort of bang on and say, okay, I can solve this. I think it's more, it gives you a mindset saying, oh, you could. And it also just gives you Mm. a solid foundation. So the community aspect of we're all together, like you have people around you who think you can do things, who think you can achieve things, that helps. You have a practice that keeps you physically healthy, that helps. Mm. So the, the grounding aspects of it aren't just in the mindset. They're also encouraging you towards living in a healthy manner by having a good social life, a good physicality, and <clears throat> provides you with a rock hard, if you will, self-belief that you can do other things. But I don't want it because then there are people who are out there who go, well, yeah, it's just a physical practice. I don't necessarily want to think about parkour as being my entire identity in life. And I think they are to a certain extent right. I think we can talk as much as we like, but at the end yeah. of the day, we are still people. Yeah, yeah, we have many different facets. I do like what you're saying. I think that that's something that I've um, felt as well is that the, just the very, the ultra physical nature of it. it. I like how you're saying it's grounding. I like that. It's, it's very, you know, people talk about flow state and stuff. And one of the things that, that you need in flow state that I've heard from different, you know, viewpoints and I can't cite anything. <laughs> I don't even remember the, who said it, but basically what they were getting at was you need that feedback and you need real time feedback is, is can be really important when you're developing that relationship and that is something that parkour absolutely offers across the you know the, the gamut or may, any any physical sport really but parkour uniquely you know there's just no at apparatus there's no there's very little between you and what you're engaging with and i think that is partly yeah that characteristic that can ground you so well and give you some really good evidence to build that self-belief or to experience firsthand that that feedback and so, yeah, I like how you're, you're saying maybe it's not so big, maybe, yeah. right? <laughs> Let's not like <laughs> confuse it with like, it is, it maybe has elements of these philosophy, you know, um, and these ancient, you know, ideas, but it's not necessarily, it may be more specific to this realm, but it is like a, a very fundamentally, um, it could be a very good practice to build on because it, because it does ground you in so many good things. So I like where you're going with that. I think I got that. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, what were you going to say? I was, um, you've got me thinking a little bit about, um, I think that one of the interesting threads that comes through from what you were mentioning there brings us back to your Parkour History podcast, which I'll do a shout out to because I've been listening away to you and Max talking about these things. Shout out Max Henry. He's the one, he's the one who's like, He's better. He's better than both of us when it comes to parkour academics, at least. Oh yeah. He's got the freaking sight. He's I, got every citation not, in his head. He's. Such I a, could not speak for four, five, six hours <laughs> on parkour history without notes. I don't. God know bless Max Henry for um, his knowledge on this. <laughs> so one of the things that you're making me think of is that there is a thread of suffering that goes through early parkour. Hmm. So if you go back to uh, the founders' stories, you go back to Raymond Bell's um, story, it's not a pleasant one. Uh, these The story of where parkour comes from is poverty, 
uh, suffering and striving to never let anyone else control you. Hmm. And I, for one, I'm a relatively big fan of trying to let some of that go because I want people to be healthier and happier. And I, for one, I'm someone who, um, who didn't have the best teenage years, who wasn't particularly happy growing up. And parkour was a fairly transformative experience for me in a very, very positive way. So I'm a big fan of others not having to tread quite so much of a difficult path as me. So I'm a big fan of letting some of that suffering go. Whereas I think there are probably other people out there who would go, well, part of parkour is suffering for your art and Mm -hmm. um, working really, really hard in order to become something better than others. And they probably watched an awful lot of Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) And that's, I mean, like, I'm I'm partially joking and teasing, but also partially true. Like, some of the influence... There's going to be a Dragon Ball Z episode in parkour history. Because it's that, <laughs> that it, I mean, maybe not just Dragon Ball Z, but trust that it will have yeah. a big chunk because yeah. it did have a huge influence on so many practitioners and many of the, you know, original founders or the, I don't know how, I actually, I need to do some Dragon Ball Z watching. I never really watched it, but I Seb's bet I would a big love fan. it. Yeah, Seb's a big fan. Yeah, a big fan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the point being that we can, as I, Another really important part of this is we can talk about what it was, where it comes from, what uh, what all our roots are, but also we should be moving forward, not backwards. So mm. we should be talking about these things with an aspirational intent in mind. What could parkour be? What could it do? How could it benefit people? How could we change the world for the better with what has been given to us so far? Mm. Love that. And... What do you think <laughs> on that question? Um, and, you know, I know it's a, it's a huge one, but maybe you can even just talk about what you've seen. Because that yeah. was another well, one of my I mean, lingering, my many 17 questions I'd asked initially was what, how do you see, what, is, what does it offer there? What, what how does, does it make it the world, how does it make the world better? Um, I kind of got two answers here. So the first one um, speaks to non-competitive physical spaces, something that we've uh, that we talked about last time the two of us uh, were chatting, which is that parkour looks a lot like play, and one thing that is missing from a lot of Western societies, in particular right now, is playtime for young people that is not supervised in any way, unsupervised play. So, in order for young people to develop, one argument is you need to give them lots of information so that they can adapt properly to the society they're in. And the only way they get that is through being told information about society. So we go to school and we learn things, and that's super important. But another big aspect of how we play, which is a lot more um, natural in some ways, is we play. So play is often thought about as synthesis. You take ideas you've seen and you assimilate them into your own understanding of the way the world works. You're copying people that and activities that you've seen. So there's this uh, great thing is if you have a, an annoying technique, like you run your hands through your hair or um, you slap your feet before you do a jump or if you mm. do a weird shoulder wiggle, <laughs> your students will do that before they jump because they're copying you. Mm. 
So one thing we see within the younger generations is that they learn things from us. And these play-based environments, I think, are a lot healthier for people in terms of their own physical, emotional, social well-being than only being taught, taught, taught in very controlled environments their own life. Because then when the training wheels come off, it's very confusing, scary, anxiety-inducing. I definitely feel like I wasn't prepared particularly well for the real world because in my teenage years, everything that happened was very, very organized and my free time disappeared. And so when I got free time again, it took me years to understand that I can just go do stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, As silly as that might sound. (laughs) And I think it's worse these days. Mm. Second part of that is I want to know what parkour could be and I want to try and figure out what parkour could be. So I went and joined the international governing body and tried to find problems that were big and that I could solve using parkour. Mm. So I'm trying to live through that and solve it by going out there and finding things and going, hey, this is a problem I can solve and then throwing resources at it. Amazing. What are you finding out there? Yeah, let's get into Parkour Earth and maybe even before we jump into what Parkour Earth is doing and like the problems they're solving and addressing and and the kinds of projects you guys are working on. Um, can we get up to speed on just kind of the short version of, you know, we had these original countries that founded it or the original organizi- organizing nations and, you know, it hasn't been sure. that long, but yeah, I think if it would be helpful to catch us up a little bit on like how that organization was founded, the constitution. I mean, you know, if you go through the website and you look through some of the stuff, it's, it's like, damn, this shit legit. Like, <laughs> That's what Thank the you. layman might say, you know, um, and it's interesting to look at, you know, a constitution that is written in, in, in whatever language it's UK based, right? So it's got to use mm-hmm. the UK, um, laws and stuff. So that's interesting to just kind of see how things might differ in your country versus, you know, this one and, and what they, anyhow, I just wanted to get into, yeah, just that, that original founding and then where they're oriented around these days so most viewers of this podcast will probably be aware that the international gymnastics federation has attempted to claim that it owns parkour Uh, the international gymnastics federation better known as fig is a large organization which um, is a part of the olympics and officiates gymnastics all over the world and it unilaterally has declared that it owns parkour. Uh, It's set up, uh, it was unfortunately um, done through a variety of fairly behind the scenes, not particularly nice ways. They claimed to set up and they had a whole bunch of parkour athletes join and try and guide it, but they functionally ignored them. All of those parkour athletes ended up quitting, incredibly upset with the direction it was going. Um, it for a brief while had the backing of a couple of the founders, but they pulled out rather quickly. It, Mm. it has gone very, very poorly for them. And yet they are still trying to do it. And one of the reasons they were able to even take these steps is that Parker doesn't have an international governing body because why would we need one? Like there's no reason for Parker to be governed on that scale. So we never did. There were a couple of national governing bodies at the time, uh, and those who were fairly well advanced at the time gathered together and created an international body called Parkour Earth. Parkour Earth is designed to be an international governing body, which has members that are national governing bodies. 
So the membership are organisations like USPK, which is the USPK-based national body, uh, Parkour UK, uh, Parkour Finland, Parkour Poland, Parkour Switzerland, Federation de Parkour in France, Parkour South Africa, Parkour Czech. New Zealand, right? New Zealand Sorry? and Australia are in there New as well. Zealand and Australia. Yeah. There may be more. Yeah. <laughs> They're all on the website. It'll be in the description. <laughs> um, and basically, originally when it was founded, the idea was that all the countries around the world would go and create national bodies and then they would join Parkour Earth and that would keep them all safe from uh, fake. However, as things have passed a little bit in time, it became clearer and clearer that parkour wasn't something that was ever going to form in those structures because it doesn't, parkour practitioners in general simply aren't interested in that level of formalism. And so work's been done in order to create other pathways to properly represent parkour because parkour earth is entirely operated sorry no there's one person involved in parkour earth that isn't a parkour practitioner and he is our chairperson while we find someone who is a parkour person <laughs> to take the role if we can or potentially someone who's interested in parkour but everyone else so all of the directors and all of the executive are parkour people hmm. which is really nice because they want to actually represent parkour and so they realized parkour people aren't engaging with this it's the wrong structure and therefore the structure is changing so when I was brought on a year ago, I was sort of given this remit of try and work out how to engage with parkour people better. And so that's kind of what I've been doing over the course of the last year. I've been building different models and slowly making sure that I have the relevant permissions and putting the bits and pieces in place so that I can go out and represent parkour earth and talk about parkour earth and what it's doing and also do it in a way that works for parkour people. So there's a bunch of changes we've made. Uh, one is that we've generated this new Discord server mm -hmm. where people can come on and chatter to us, find out what we're doing. If you do use Discord, come along and just, it's not incredibly busy, but like stuff is always happening. So there's, there's always an interesting conversation of some sort going on. And also I generally do a lot of the announcements there. And then we're active on Instagram and Facebook, which I think are the main two platforms that parkour people use. That was a very slow one to get going, but uh, Kel Glaster from Australian Parkour Association has been brilliant. She's really all over that. Mm. And then if you DM us now, I tend to be able to respond. And we're just generally now capable of talking parkour and acting like a member of the parkour community. And when it comes to the internet and communicating on platforms like Instagram and Facebook, that's a big part of parkour. Mm. And being able to do it and doing it properly is part of it. So like, uh, that's a big change I've made. And then the other one has been figuring out how to contribute positively towards the parkour community. So that's my next step. So now I talk mm. parkour, I speak parkour, I can talk to parkour people and I can appear authentically parkour. Now I have to do things for the parkour community. Flashback to what are you actually doing? <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I get that you, yeah, tell me more, some about those things. I mean, I love that you're doing all these, these things to help, you know, establish and just engage with the community and where it's at and like kind of meet mm -hmm. us where it's at, you know, that's where, that's the the saying, you know, meet, 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 meet them where they're at and meet the whole community where it's at and where we want to be. And you guys even have your own podcast. I saw, I haven't listened to it yep. yet, but I'm sure 
the things that we just talked about, you go into even greater detail on those episodes that are out. Um, yeah. But yeah. So we had a, an abortive attempt to start one, but um, the one that's going to be the Parker Earth podcast moving forwards is Swapping Shoes. Louise oh yeah, Altman's with Luis. In Louise. charge of that one. So he's, Louise came on recently. He's absolutely amazing. Um, mm. So he's a big part of the Red Bull Art of Motion and a whole part of the very performative aspect. So he brings balance to my very coach-based academic approach to parkour. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's huge that you guys uh, already, it seems like, you know, you're really, you know, principle one is diversity. I mean, I don't know mm. if they're actually in order, but one of your biggest principles was diversity and having all the, it's hard to represent parkour because we are so multifaceted. So you have to like get these characters one at a time and add them in and create the Avengers basically. But yeah, it's, um, you know, it's not an easy process. Exactly. I'm sure. So that's the ambassadors program. Mm. So the ambassadors program is one of the ways in which we want to be able to speak more parkour. So one of the things that I'm really aware of is that different people have different opinions on many things in parkour. One of the thing changes that I've had to make personally working at Parkour Earth has been to recognize an awful lot more diversity of voices about what the discipline actually is. And it's impossible for one guy who speaks <laughs> one language fluently and three languages badly uh, to talk to the entire world. And so what we need to do is we need to create ambassadors who can go out and see what parkour is actually like, what people in the world of parkour actually think. And so the ambassador program is an attempt to do that, is to recruit people who can speak on behalf of Parkour Earth to parkour practitioners all over the world. And also what they then do is they feed back to us what parkour is like all over the world. So we want to recruit people who can go to Brazil, a country that has a huge parkour scene, mm. uh, but that we don't see a lot of because they mostly speak Portuguese. Uh, and we want to be able to communicate with them, tell them what we're trying to do, and also get feedback about what they need there. We need to, um, I mean, within Europe alone, there's you know, 30, 40 languages, probably more, get people talking to all those various different parkour practitioners that train in all those different places and feedback and learn what is happening around the world and then do stuff for them. So the ambassadors program is the big part of that. We're recruiting. And if you're interested in becoming an ambassador, then um, hit us up. Simply drop us an, an email. We're looking for people who have fairly big followings who can represent their area. If you hit us up, we'll either say, yes, we'd love for you to be there, or we'll simply say, we'd love for you to get involved in parkour some other way. Hmm. Uh, because again, there is a diversity thing. So the reason that we might not accept all ambassadors is that if everyone applies, we'll get an awful lot of white 20-something men and we need to be a little bit more diverse than that so we're gonna <laughs> not promise everyone they can be ambassadors instead we're going to say all right we welcome all contributions and come and hit us up and if you specifically are from somewhere that isn't being represented right now through parkour or you think you speak for a community that we haven't really reached out to yet definitely come and talk to me hmm. and the responsibilities of that as an ambassador is there you know, other than basically conversing with Parkour Earth and making sure that Parkour Earth as an organization can keep their finger on the pulse of all these different communities and just being like, um, what kind so, of other... So, Luis is in charge of this, so mm. I'm not going to speak okay. too in-depth on it, but sure. as a very practical answer, mm. you will be added to a WhatsApp group. Eventually, you will be sent a t-shirt, and occasionally you'll be asked to go to events and talk about Parkour Earth. And there'll be some briefing materials to help you do that more easily. 
Hmm. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Sounds like fun. <laughs> What's yeah, up? Maybe it's, it's like <laughs> maybe Luis. Up. Yeah, I'd love to get another conversation with Luis um going one of these days. I was on his swapping shoes a while ago, but maybe I can get him on here and, and we can talk more about this too when, when he's yeah. interested. Um we were actually the two of us were talking about which of us was gonna hit you up to try and come on the podcast first. Oh, nice. <laughs> Rochambeau. We're gonna we're gonna give you a one two. <laughs> nice. I can't wait. Um <clears throat> Okay. So then moving on to like so you have the ambassador program. What other kinds of things mm-hmm. are you doing? So the the big one that I'm interested in right now mm-hmm. is the supporters initiative. So uh, in a nutshell, Parkour Earth needs a business model. And one reason it needs a business model is it needs to be able to spend money on the parkour community. And to do that, we've decided to go with a supporters model. So how you do this is you go to patreon.com slash parkour earth and you give us, um, it's one pound a month, which is about a buck fifty a month. um, And you support Parkour Earth. You become a supporter of Parker Earth. And we're looking to sign up as many people as possible to do that. So the first campaign that we're going to start launching soon is going to be called The Race to 100. We're looking for 100 people to give us $2 a month, basically. Mm-hmm. And then from that, we're going to build and try and build more and more money so that we have this pot of money that we can then spend on the parkour community. The really good thing about doing it this way is that it's money raised from the community, very small amounts from hundreds of people, hopefully, mm-hmm. will then go on to have make real difference in the lives of parkour creators and parkour innovators. And so what the first place I want to spend that money, quite literally, mm-hmm. is on parkour photographers. Because the what are the problems you're going to solve? The first problem I've noticed is that there are some amazing parkour photographers out there, but they're not regularly paid well for their work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big issue. I think professionalizing the industry of parkour and photography will help a lot of people create better artwork and take the time to create really good art. There's a few people out there who may be made as professional photographers, but if we could turn up to one photographer a month from somewhere in the world and go, hey, we want to buy 12 (laughs) photographs from you, and those photographs will be made available to our members in order to use for non-commercial reasons so they can pop them on their website so they can um, use them in social media posts and we just create this backlog of photographs then the photographer gets paid equitably for their work the member organizations all have access to photographs that they know have been obtained ethically Mm. and on top of that there's also a great place that if you do need to buy a photograph for commercial reasons so if you want to put it in your book or you want to put it on a course you want to sell you know that you can go to this, it'll have the name of the photographer, you can contact them and ask them about their race. Mm. And it's a way to make sure that people who are taking the photographs and the people who are in their photographs get paid equitably and properly for their work. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that idea. I'm wondering, there's probably some blockchain coder that can make that even like NFT or whatever version so you guys don't have to do any admin, hopefully. But... Just that's I'm just putting that out there for you because I think that's probably a way to do that. I think that's one of the advantages of these, you know, these blockchain technologies. I'm not super smart on it, but basically, it's I love been the five idea. Five years and I still don't understand what crypto is. I think. <laughs> well, I think this is the kind Bitcoin of Bitcoin did really well, and now it's doing really badly, but it'll probably do well again. Yeah, but this is the kind of um, automated. 
process, like a smart contract thing that could be really powerfully integrated. You know, if, if you're, if your name as the photographer or your talent, you know, the person's person or persons in the photos are tied to that photo, then without anyone having to do any legwork, you can purchase that photo and everyone gets paid without, um, you know, monitoring. That's pretty cool. That, that would be the kind of application that a smart contract would be useful for, I think. But anyhow, forget that. That That's a total if, tangent. If you know someone who's interested in creating that sort of backend for us and knows how to do those things, yeah, come talk to me. Yeah, I don't. I think a lot of those people are getting paid by some of these bigger blockchain companies because there's very few of them. But that's we can hope. We can hope. If you're out there, we know that there's a neuro, what was it, neurodivergent? I think there's a little blockchain um, bias in the community as well. So we'll see. Oh, yes. <laughs> so there might be someone out there. But anyhow. A lot of parkour people are crypto bros. I, I love that. Um, I love that there's, you know, that, that that's a great project. I think that, yeah, it builds a little, you know, one of the things that you talk about on the website is you want to create a, an economy within parkour or for parkour. Yeah. And that totally does that where we see a lot of crossover between athletes and cinematography, photography, and being able to create a library, a pool of media for people to pull from that we feel is like ethically, we know that is ethically sourced. That's, that's powerful. And it helps, you know, just circulate that money in within the community. So yeah. that's a great project. Um, it's one of the really nice things about working for Parker Earth as an organization so far is that the people involved are ethically minded in a really positive way. So I was just working on, um, one of our backend documents and, um, it was talking about who we'd enter into partnership, who we wouldn't enter into partnership with. Mm. And we'd kind of put down a very standard blocky bit of text that said, we won't enter into partnership with anyone who does anything illegal, you know, fairly standard um, sort of aspect of these contracts. And <laughs> one of the directors challenged it and said, I think we need to do better than that. I think that we should only enter into partnerships with people who are positively contributing to society. Mm. And I went, yeah. All right. I'm in, I'm in the right sort of room. I, I like it here. Yes. Mm. So, and we changed it. We've now changed the document so that there is a, a higher barrier. The, the companies that we enter into partnership or work with have to actively be working for the betterment of the world. And I think that's really important too. Mm. Love that. Yeah. That is a bar raising <laughs> conversation. Yeah. Um, um, so when it comes to like choosing a project, is that is that something that's laid out in the constitution when you're deciding on a photographer? Like, are people going to apply for grants from Parkour Earth? Like, how how does this money get distributed in a way that is you know feels fair to everyone involved? Yeah, well, this is um this comes back to some really interesting ideas and one of the issues with um capacity that parker earth has because mm. effectively the way that we're going to do this at first is we're going to go out and look for diverse voices that aren't normally highlighted mm. and when we find someone that we think yes that person we're going to approach them and ask them if we can buy the photographs and in the short to medium term that's the process we're going to use and the main reason for that is that it's um not really there's just not the capacity to build a better system than that. Mm -hmm. One of the um, sad things about Parkour Earth is there's no money in Parkour Earth right now. And also because it's quite ethically built with regards to everything, you can't just pour money into it from anywhere. Mm. The money has to come from good sources. So because of that, I, I've been working part-time for Parkour Earth for a year for free. And 
So eventually, we want to build better systems that will probably end up looking a lot more like grant applications, but also in the short to medium term, we want to be authentically parkour and trusted in order to do good things. Mm. And so in the short term, we're going to reward organizations that work with us at the start and help us. And also when we find diverse voices that are interesting, we're going to try and highlight them as well because we want to really reach as many different people as possible. And so that's going to be a a search, a literal search. Like one of the first big things we want to do as an organization is better understand what Parker looks like all over the world because we don't know mm. because no one has ever done a systematic analysis of what Parker looks like everywhere. We've got some vague notes from what we think most countries are like and a list of other countries, a list of the countries that we know very little about. Mm. We only have a few contacts in and countries that we know a lot about. But we'd love to do lots more, but we just don't have the capacity because no one's doing this full time. Everyone's volunteering their time and there's so much to do. Mm. And so once the supporters concept reaches a thousand pounds a month, so again, about $1,400 a month, someone's part time job is going to become trying to answer some of these questions and creating better ethical systems for deciding who to go about paying people. And once it reaches about $7,000 a month, then there's going to be a couple of people who are brought on full time in order to do these things and answer these questions and delve deeper into these things because we're sort of building it as we go, mm-hmm. which is amazing because it means that it will be built by parkour people. And also we can, when we get asked that question, we can think about it and we we don't have answers right now. If you or anyone listening thinks they have a really good answer about how we can do these things better, come and tell us, or better yet, come and do it for us because Parker Earth is meant to be built by the community. And so when people come in and they tell us what they want us to do and how they want us to do things, we're going to respond positively to those requests. Mm. Appreciate that. Yeah, I think um, what we've noticed in these governing bodies, you know, I just talked to um, Cozy, Adam Cozy on you know, a few episodes ago. And I think what's interesting is that when we see, I don't know if it's just the modern era or if it's very parkour specific or both, but you know, we're seeing a whole new level of transparency between our governing bodies. That's like number one in terms of yeah. like what really big, we realize that we can't fuck around as I like to say, um, if we're going to actually build trust and be <clears throat> a sustainable or regenerative organization that people actually want to get on board with, like, we're not going to try to fool anybody. And I think that is, that is at least, you know, I love that parkour can, can do some of this work. It seems like we're one of the the communities that's young enough that doesn't have too much, you know, history baggage, baggage exactly. Mm-hmm to to maybe weigh us down from from really changing how these yeah. things are done and i think that's it's tough because like you said that also means we have almost no resource and very <laughs> very little structure in place to to build from in some ways but um that means we can build it freely and build it as we see it and we, as we want to see it built yeah but uh yeah like do you do you see um you know when we talk about fig and stuff do you see us like really changing is that part of the conversation is like, we're going to try to change governance worldwide yeah. in a little bit well, of a way. If you talk to Damien Puddle, CEO, mm-hmm. yes, that's, that's how he talks, mm. which is pretty amazing. Um, he is very interested in transparency. And I kind of want to take this, I want to step slightly sideways on this because I think 
maybe there's another aspect of parkour people that we can distill here. Hmm. Because I don't know about you, but I'm definitely at a point where I notice that I think because we have a history of inauthentic actors coming into the community, sometimes doing good at the start, but then often trying to leverage that good for their own gain in the long term. Um, so people like Easy of Urban Free Flow, Adam Dunlap of Take Flight, um, controversial, but Whiffpuff and IPF have been a very similar story. A lot of these organizations have sort of come in, they've maybe done some good, but then they've gone on to really try and leverage the community for themselves. They've done it in incredibly opaque ways mm. that Parker people are really paying attention to what people actually do, not what they say. Mm. And we are, we see it a lot uh, locally here in the UK with um, our national governing body too, is there's lots of times when they say one thing and then go and do a very, very different thing. And it's when non-parkour people are interacting with us and they're behaving like other sports do all over the place and like other organizations do all over the place. They give you all the platitudes you want mm. and then turn to the next person and give them a set of platitudes <laughs> that mean they're going to do something totally different. And they never actually do that thing. Mm. It's so ingrained into our society. We're so used to that happening in our politics, in our business, in every aspect that we just don't accept it in our sport. And so I think parkour Earth has no option but to behave this way because it is authentically parkour. We actually want to walk the walk. We want to authentically represent parkour. And when you talk to Damien about this, um, when he talks to a lot of other CEOs and people who are involved in the building of national bodies, international bodies, um, a lot of them have given him the same advice, which is you have all of the authentic cards. Like parkour Earth is actually community-driven. It's not pretending to be community-driven in order to get one over someone. It's it's the real deal. So take your time. Do it right. Don't mm. cut corners. Don't sell out the first big paycheck you come across because you don't need to because it might take a decade. It might take two, but it's going in the right direction, and that's the important bit. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of walking the walk. I want to tell you honestly what we're trying to do, and I want to then go and do those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love that. I love that. And yeah, I wonder, yeah, I wonder how that plays into the, the demographic, the psycho demographic of the parkour practitioner is like, are we more aware and keen? I, I think Again, there is a degree to which it's an age thing as well. Mm. I think because the parkour community is also quite young and it's gone through a period of social change often for the worse often with um people in power regarding truth is secondary mm, yeah very it's true it's definitely a community that is uh driven to make <laughs> sure that we hold people to their words well and that is the that is the the foundational appeal i don't want to keep bringing it back to bitcoin and blockchain and stuff but that is the ultimate sort of value that's offered with those things is the trustless yeah. the trustless of it yeah is well trust is built in there i get yeah. it there, there's two things so there's an idea of we've talked about this before this is agency theory this is the thing we talked about in the last episode that we talked together oh yeah um <laughs> there's this idea which is that you that in a business sense you should never trust people you just have to you have to hold them and check them with their account hmm. make sure they do right because 
in an ideal world, everyone is screwing everyone else over <laughs> because that's how economic models work. They're not true. I mean, we are yeah. community driven as human beings. We don't, well, in healthy societies, we don't betray our neighbors. Yeah. And if we want to create a healthy international governing body, there shouldn't need to be something like Bitcoin forcing us to be honest. We should just be honest. That being said, that's not to say that things like Bitcoin that cut out the middleman aren't potentially, the blockchain ideas aren't mm. potentially valuable. But I hope to create something in Parkour Earth where the idea that Parkour Earth is going to screw you over just doesn't make sense. Like yeah. It just doesn't operate like that. Yeah. No, that makes, I love that. That's that's definitely, yeah, it's interesting to think about where we're headed as a as a whole, you know, global, whatever, just the human species. And if we're ready to let go of some of this stuff, because like you said, the economic model right now is everybody take as much as they can and give as little as you can. And that's how you win the game. And it's just like, well, we've I'm, exhausted I'm that and we're destroying the planet in the process and, you know, doing all kinds of things. What were you going to say? I'm glad to tell you that outside <laughs> of the U.S. it's not quite as bad. <laughs> yeah, the U.S. Yeah, we got our. That's one of our biggest weaknesses and and greatest oh, opportunities for sure. is our our freedom, whatever. You know, we have that. Yeah, every every character and country is unique, but yeah, that's certainly the caricature of the United States, and and we are sort of like the poster boy for greed and capitalism and in. In many ways and around the world green capitalism being both a force for great good and great evil i mean yeah. america does its extremes incredibly well in that regard yeah no yeah some it's... of the most amazing people have ever have come out of the u.s <laughs> yeah no it's um yeah it's fascinating times well <clears throat> is there anything else that you want to talk about with parkour Earth that they're doing um before we move into Dungeons um, and Dragons. I suppose the first thing I want to do is uh, go in full-on sales mode and just say, <laughs> if you're interested in um, supporting us, go to patreon.com slash parkerruth hmm. and sign up to give us $1 a month. In fact, I want you to, while listening to this, I want you to open your phones and go to the website, patreon.com slash parkerruth and sign up. Um, because you'll be joining a community of people who are trying to change the world for the better and for most people it's not going to be enough money to really inconvenience you if you can support us with more money that's great but really at this stage we're just trying to get more and more people giving us a tiny little bit of money just so we can prove the concept is valid come give us some money and join the supporters initiative join parkour earth put um it's like a challenge come and actually try and create something genuine this is how you do it mm. um but also kind of open myself up to challenge. I'd love to be challenged on some of these ideas uh, and to be told, all right, well, how are you going to make things better? Um, come and tell us who we aren't reaching and how we should reach them. Tell us if we, you think we can do it better. Hmm. Uh, I, um, I, am, I hope that Parker Earth can also be a place for great debate. And some of that debate should be how we move forward. And come and tell us. So there are big, big questions in the sport and the international governance that still need answered and if you are opinionated think you have the right answer come and tell us if you think if you're not particularly opinionated and you're quite quiet and you're normally on the sides and you think your voice isn't normally heard come and tell us but tell us more quietly because we still want to hear from you hmm. 
if there's anything people take away from this podcast, it's we want you to come and talk to us. Uh, and then we're going to recruit Brandon as one of our ambassadors. Because <laughs> he's got a podcast and can shout really loud. <laughs> I can, you've no never promises. even heard it. You've never even heard how loud I can go. Um, <laughs> turn the gain up on this thing right now. Blast you guys with... Uh... <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. I love that I'm on the uh, candidate list here of potential um, recruiter, recruiter. I, I actually targets. have no power over that whatsoever, oh, so yeah. I can't comment. Um, what was the what was the thing I was going to ask? Was just where... So let's say you get everyone on board. We're going to start allocating money um, really far down the road when you're probably, you know, who knows if you're even involved in it anymore, but you felt like you've done what you wanted to do with parkour earth how does that global organization feel like or do you know it's a cool question um i think there are parts of there are parts of my experience of parkour that i want to preserve and i don't want to disappear but one of them is jamming culture i want people to grow up to, be able to go out in the streets and i want to be able to jump on things and i want that to be normal mm. um i think reclaiming public space is a huge part of my interest in the sport and so if that if people are still jamming in public spaces in 30 years time and you know the regular edinburgh parkour jam has been going on is which has been going on for 20 years is going on for 50 years that would be something else mm. The second thing about it is the parkour passport and parkour travel. The joy of being able to turn up in a brand new city and to have friends is the most amazing things. I want to tell uh, all of your listeners about how amazing and safe a feeling it was to turn up in Boulder, Colorado and to have this cool guy turn up in a beat up car, uh, <laughs> just pick me up and take me into the city, show me red and look after me for a day. It was amazing. And it's Something that you can actually get almost anywhere in the world if you know who to reach, if you know how to reach out and you know the parkour passport, is people will look after you wherever you go. And I want to maintain that because it's so parkour to do that. It's so great to be able to go anywhere and feel like you fit in. Um, I like I, the stories I can tell you of traveling around Europe and staying with people and them just feeding you and looking after you and feeling safe in a completely foreign culture is amazing. And I suppose finally, I want to live in a world where people move because they want to and because it makes them feel good and they then lead healthier and happier lives. And I think parkour is a really strong tool to do that. And therefore, I want it to stick around. I don't want it to get sucked in. It's just another discipline of gymnastics because that just feels wrong to me. And I think there's a better story to be told here. Hmm. And... So yeah, if parkour is the the end game is Fig mostly abandons parkour because it just couldn't mm. get people to get involved. Mostly that involves sucking the air out of it. It involves convincing the professionals who want to go and compete to do it in grassroots organizational work. Um, they abandon their coaching programs because they just can't do it as well as us because they try and create something really, really different. And we can continue doing what we do. And then more aspirational than that, I want people to be able to travel, do parkour, jump around and be free as long as they can. Mm. I like that vision. It's a beautiful vision. All right. I'm going to throw one hardball 
like devil's advocate for you because I just thought of it as, so, you know, the big, the big, what, what fig and what IOC, what these, you know, ancient kind of organizations have that we don't have, or that you don't have as parkour earth is that funding that huge, you know, already they have mountains of cash. It feels like at least in comparison that they can throw at athletes and to them, they can, they can make a very tempting offer to athletes to compete and yeah. there's a real argument there that, well, this is, you know, regardless of their intention, if they're trying to leverage the community against us and they don't, even if with the worst intentions, the money is there, they're giving it to them. And, um, what, what do you say to that when an athlete is coming up against that choice? It's like, Hey, you know, yeah. parkour Earth's not going to offer me this much money. And these guys are, and this is, you know, what it comes down to in my life is all right, well, this is an opportunity that exists in front of me or it wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. Um, the, there are people out there, um, who I've heard talk about this issue. Mm. Um, if you met Valentin, of course he's on the, he's an alum of the podcast actually. Excellent. Um, so, he pretty much says, you know, that exact thing. Mm. You know, these competitions, a lot of them are terrible. A lot of them are really badly organized, uh, but they pay the bills and it's my life. And I think that's a legitimate argument that can be made. Mm -hmm. I think the question remains for the competitive element of the community, those who do organize competitions, how they can build alternative pathways mm -hmm. that are appropriate because one of the, they do have to answer that. Um, I think that... World Chase Tag is a great example of that being done really well. And I think that there is definite, um, there's a lot of goodwill and there's a lot of optimism to be found in the developing American competitive scene with that because prize money has been developed and delivered. Um, and there is definite optimism there, even if it is a little bit slower. But also what I'd say is having more money doesn't necessarily make you happier. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so I would be balancing out what experiences I want to have in my life and how I want to feel about how I pursued those life goals and if it makes me feel good. And if it does make people feel good, they should go and do that thing and they shouldn't let anyone stand in their way. And I think a big difference between people with my viewpoint on this and a lot of others is I am not going to rant and rave about if an individual goes to a fig competition or not. In fact, that's so beyond me. Mm -hmm. What I will say is that for those who are angry about it, the onus is on them to um, put up or shut up. Mm. So what I'd say is, what are you actually doing <laughs> in order to make your vision of parkour a reality? Mm. And Parkour Earth wants to be the backbone that allows a lot of those visions to happen. It becomes a place where that sort of thing can happen. So if you want to create that future, come and join Parkour Earth. Come join our Discord. Come and come follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, join our supporters scheme. Hit us up about becoming ambassador whatever you think is the appropriate platform for you to come and enjoy, engage in that discussion and put in the work, come and build it because 
that's the only way it gets done. Don't just stand around waiting for someone else to solve your problems for you. Boom. That was pretty powerfully said. I like that answer a lot. Um, cool, man. I think that, yeah, that's the great message. And it sounds like Parkour Earth is doing some amazing work. And yeah, definitely people should go get in the description, jump in that Discord, yeah. get involved if you, especially if you're going to be complaining from the sidelines. <laughs> there's um, one last thing to be said here, which yeah. is the supporters initiative. If you join it, there's a special supporters channel. And so far, the channel has mostly been used to send gifts of frogs and raccoons at me all day long. <laughs> so if you want to distract me from my work day in and day out by sending stupid gifts to me, you need to join the sports initiative or I won't pay attention. <laughs> all right. Good there to you know. have it. Yeah. Um, does Parkour Earth ever like see itself putting on its own events, own like competitions even that... Um you know, have a channel outside of the other channels that the, already exist for the dream is to not put on our own competitions instead to facilitate things that are being created in the community. So we want to champion the great work that USPK is doing. Mm. We want to um, champion the Czech guys are really developing a lot of really cool competitive formats as well. Mm. The, the aim is very much to, shine the spotlight on the community and support where is appropriate. I see. Um, cool. Yeah. That's how we're going to do that. Love it. All right. Now moving on to the important, the big questions, big questions. How is the D and D going for you? How is the D and D? How, well, so, how is your practice of D and D going? And how's where? my practice? So <laughs> I am now this is genuinely true. I am now also a published scenario writer. Oh baby. Uh, I've I, nothing huge. I've only I've sold around uh, two hundred scenarios, but it's not for Dungeons and Dragons. It's for another tabletop role playing game. Okay. So I'm a Call of Cthulhu scenario writer. Call of so Cthulhu. Yeah. They're investigative mysteries. You'll be so unsurprised by this. <laughs> the real joy about these games basically is you like try and solve a mystery as you play it. So you're trying to work out what's going on, and if you don't get it right, then you get viciously murdered by some. <laughs> evil beast from beyond the realms of time and space and if you get it right you win and it's wonderful uh, i really like that sort of game and I, I wrote this really stupid story about an alpaca in a sheep field which has like hit become a cult classic and everyone loves it <laughs> an alpaca in a sheep field yeah all right really true <laughs> congratulations on your newfound success the call that of cthulhu yeah one career wasn't enough so i thought i'd have three yeah yeah of course yeah um Wow, man. I don't even know. Gonna, I wish, I, I, you're going to have to get me. I genuinely, you, I've only played one game of D&D with you. Uh -huh. And so if and when the time comes, I want to play my first and probably only game of Call of Cthulhu with yeah. you. Uh, I, I need you to gather uh, two or three friends, hit me up, and we will literally make that happen. All right. All right. We could do it. We could do it over Zoom, I guess, if we had yeah, to. Yeah, we can. This feels like we're going to lose a little something if we play over Zoom, but... It's better to play once than to never at all, I'd say. I've got to, the only solution is I have to come back to America. Like, um, you still in Boulder? No, I moved to Denver. Denver. Um, shortly after you were here, actually. And yeah, not too far. I mean, I have an excuse to get to Colorado because my uncle's just outside Boulder. So, uh, Holla. Denver's not that far. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on, sharing your time with us today. 
Um, yeah. and I really appreciate the ability to share the message and to talk to people about all of these dreams I keep having. <laughs> yeah, no, man, I think it's really great. I love that, you know, we got to reconnect and, um, I just love that you're, you're doing the work and, you know, I don't know like how they found you and, you know, there's so many people that could do it, but it's so cool to see just who is taking over these positions. And I hope that, um, everything with parkour earth just keeps building momentum and you guys all can, you know, get that supporters initiative at capacity and everything else that you're looking for, because I love what you guys yeah. are doing. So this is the moment when the people who didn't take out the phones the last time now take out the phones <laughs> and go to patreon.com slash because the podcast's over anyway. Yeah. We'll put it right in that description. We'll put it f- front and center for you guys as well. So you, the- you can just from the podcast, scroll up and, and join. And um, I'll contribute my one euro or one uh, pound a month, at least a pledge, a pledge for the project right All here, right. right here publicly. Thank you. With you guys. It is, this podcast has been <laughs> worth it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm worth about $1 for whatever. <laughs> Two, 150, 150. Don't forget that conversion. Yeah. yeah. Um, cheers, man. Yeah. Thanks again. For Thank the you time. so much. Yeah. And much love to all the listeners out there. Woo. All right. Episode 114 in the bank. Big thanks to John for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. Go into that description, as we just mentioned, and follow the links to support Parkour Earth and what they're up to. And a little further down, you'll find ways to support Hydrop, the program itself, and what I'm up to here. And much love, everyone, for listening. See you on 115.